0: This is Matt Dixon, and this is the Purple Patch Podcast. And this week, we are very, very far away from a studio. We're in nature. Right now, I'm sitting on lava. I'm next to the surf. It is the week of the Hawaii Ironman World Championships. What does that mean, guys? It means I'm a little busy. It's a little crazy here in race week, catching up with people, with all the athletes, helping people get prepared for what is, as I said last week, a little bit of a brutal adventure out in the sun. Don't forget, you can catch my thoughts on the race, its challenge, appeal, and some of the timely advice for competing athletes in last week's episode. But I thought this week is the fact that it is the week of the Hawaii Ironman. It might be fun to go back and revisit a fun conversation with three Purple Patch professional athletes I had who are, yes, competing at Hawaii in just a couple of days' time. In January, I spoke to Sarah Pianpiano, Laura Siddle, and Kevin Collington. All three are competing in the race this weekend, but we recorded our chat on performance while we were just starting the season. We're at Purple Patch Pro Camp in Scottsdale, Arizona, and in the episode, we talk about mindset, performance, key lessons, and finding that world-class performance. None of the three this weekend have anything to lose. And so we wish them all the best. We let them know that Purple Patch is behind them. And we're going to be back next week with a new episode. So don't miss the race this weekend, 6.30 a.m. Hawaii time. You can follow it at Ironman.com. They're going to have live TV via Facebook Watch. And in the meantime, I'm going to scramble off and try and dodge getting too, too wet while I'm trying to record this darn introduction. I hope you have a great week, guys. Have fun. Watch the race. We'll see you next week. Take care. All right, guys, it's the meat and potatoes, and today we're going to be exploring you guys, my pro athletes, your management mindset around planning the journey of performance, training management, recovery, and even a little bit around that subject, pain. It's going to be a round table discussion. It should be fun. And by way of introduction, we've chosen three of the Purple Patch squad here. And so let me introduce them as we get going. Sir Kevin the Knight. Kevin the Knight. Um, Kevin... Was originally went to the University of Florida, his BSc in Mechanical Engineering, and he actually doesn't have a formal athletic background. He wasn't a single-sport athlete that came to triathlon. In fact, his sort of initiation into the sport was the tri-club there. He first ventured into... Olympic distance, joined Purple Patch about three and a half years ago, and he's now won four Ironman 70.3s. He's an Ironman champion, and his fastest Ironman is eight hours and four minutes. If you're not a triathlete, all you need to know is that he's getting very, very fast. The reason I asked uh, Kevin to come on the show is really because of his, I think, real great lens on development. Patience, strategic thinking, and resilience, all of the sort of components that I think really go into the sport. So, Kevin, thanks so much for being here.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Matt.
0: Awesome. Next up, Little Pooh, Sarah P. piano. Sarah's got a really, I think, unique story in the sport. In 2009, she was smoking heavily, 80 hours a week at HSBC in New York, and decided to take up triathlons. There was this intersection of life where she decided to take a change, or make a change, I should say. And just a couple of years later, she approached me at Purple Patch with a declaration. I want to be world class. I, in fact, I want to be world champion. And her platform of results when she called me was, I think, at least by my recollection, best result she had was fourth in her age group at the Chicago Triathlon. At least that's my version of the story. And With that, coupled with the fact of her ginger hair, I immediately turned her down, so she made the next best step, she flew to San Francisco to meet me, and fast forward, she's now a three-time Ironman champion, a five-time Ironman 70.3 champion, she has multiple sub-9 hour Ironman finishes, and twice she's been top 10 in the Hawaii Ironman, she is on the route to her journey. And the reason I chose Sarah is really sort of that fact of having been on the other side, and... Another component that I really find compelling about Sarah is I think that very few athletes can claim to have the same force and will to really enable very real results to happen. She's a force of nature. So, Sarah, thank you very much for being here.
2: Yeah, I'm excited. Thanks for having me, Matt.
0: And the final, Laura Siddle, one of mine, but not really. She's from up north. Uh, Stemming from Nottingham in the United Kingdom, Laura, again, I think has an, an equally interesting story. Originally an engineer in the UK with Shell Oil, she then transferred to Sydney. And when she was busy down there in Sydney, she took up triathlon and very, very quickly became amateur world champion in sprint, Olympic, and half Ironman distance, all while sort of managing it amongst the time starved life of the engineer. And it was at that point that she decided to effectively jump off a cliff and see if she could fly. And so she joined Purple Patch. She made a very, very bold decision to not just join Purple Patch, but to leave Australia, come to San Francisco, all in the quest for that thing that we're unapologetic for with our professional triathletes, world-class performance. She'd never competed in an Ironman before. And now she's Ironman Australia champion. She's got three half Ironman championships under her belt. But I think the most impressive thing of her results, in 2017, she raced 14 times, which the others at the table are raising their eyebrows in, uh, in surprise. But of those 14 races, which is a lot of racing, she was on the podium in 12 of them, one of the most impressive years of performance in the sport. She's a global athlete and truly transitioned to world-class and I chose Laura for her wonderful story of resilience, patience and commitment, which I think will really come out in today's conversation. So Laura, thank you. Thanks, Matt. So we're going to break this down into four sections and uh, we are going to try and dive deep. We'll have a round table. You guys might humiliate me. Uh, <laughs> this might be a mistake. Uh, but the first section we're going to talk about is your path to performance. And I want to go back to the, the start before you're all sitting here with your trophies that are surrounding you in this nice room in Arizona, as we're uh, enjoying the third of the way through the pro training camp. But let's go back to the start. I think that when you started your journey as professional triathletes, I would say that you were behind the standard. And what I mean by that is sort of behind the standard of world-class. So when you're first venturing out, I really want to dig into if that was intimidating for you and and how did you approach that? What was your sort of approach to training and your mindset and how you thought about sort of, wow, this is where I have to go. And let's start with someone that's never intimidated. Let's start with Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind
2: of true, actually. Um, I mean, I think for me, it really came down to a, a real inner belief in myself. I mean, I I looked at where I wanted to go, which was, um, as Matt said, to be world class and to be world champion. And I looked at the women that were achieving that level and racing at that level on a regular basis. And I just, I looked at everything. I looked at the power they were putting out, what times they were putting out on the bike, how they were swimming, you know, what times they were running. And I thought, okay, well, this is the standard and that's where I need to be. And I just put my head down and set about, you know, trying to achieve that. And it wasn't something that was going to happen overnight. And I knew that, but Every day, that's what I was working towards. You know, that was my long-term lens, and every day I was just trying to chip a little bit more and a little bit more, and every race a little bit more towards getting to those standards. and And it isn't something that happens overnight. But um, and 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 I was totally okay with that. But what I wanted to see was progress.
0: And, and with with your lens that you, you went through, did you do you remember having a a time frame of sort of like, okay, this isn't going to happen overnight? maybe it can happen next week. But you know, was it was, were you thinking in terms of years at that time? Were you thinking it's going to take two years, 10 years? What did you have any idea?
2: I I didn't, to be honest. I mean, I think I remember going back at, on my my first year as a professional, and I really wanted to prove a point and establish myself as a competitive athlete. And I remember you from the very beginning saying, you know, this is just a learning experience. You, you know, can't have any expectations. You need to go out there and just really just be striving for improvements at every race and getting the experience and, and learning what it's like to race as a, as a pro and kind of be racing in the, in the big league, so to speak. And, you know, it was kind of like, I heard that from you, but um, at the same time, I had these expectations for myself that I wanted to be higher up than, than where I was coming in. And, and for me, just that, that desire to improve is really what was driving me. And so whether or not there was expectations on my end or no expectations on your end or, or, or whatever the expectations were for me, I just wanted to be constantly improving. And, and that's really where I set my goals. And, and wherever it ended up that first year, I just wanted to be better the next year. And then I wanted to be better the year after that. And, and so, you know, on one hand, yeah, I mean, I wanted the success to come quickly, but on the other hand, I'm still striving for that. Mm-hmm. you know, world championship and it hasn't come yet. And I'm still as motivated as I was from, you know, five years ago or six years ago.
0: How about you, Kevin? How was that? You know, you were, you started in Olympic distance. And uh, so how was it? your mindset at that time?
1: Well, I would say a little different than Sarah. I was just young and dumb. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I thought I was not behind the, <laughs> I wasn't behind the standard. I thought I was at the standard, at least in the swim. And uh, I showed up to my first, pro race in long beach california itu uh continental cup and i ended up in like the fifth pack with like just total random non-swimmers and it was a (laughs) it was an eye-opener for sure like um and i just from then i didn't really know where i wanted to go with the sport other than i was doing it i was still in college and uh it was yeah just knowing how far behind i actually was was kind of the the driver for me going forward in the sport because i was like okay i can't be that bad like this is Obviously a horrible result, but, uh, you know, just some experience, especially at ITU racing is is really what I needed to get.
0: And that that's um, – uh, I'm going to jump around the, the early pro races. You talked about your early race. Uh, uh, Laura, you you sort of had this immediate success as an amateur. You're world champion. Boom, 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 three world championships. Hello, it's me. And then yeah. I think that you really felt that initial, that huge gulf that is elite amateur to pro – How did you, was that challenging and intimidating and how did you, what were sort of some of the obstacles and challenges of the the initial step into being pro?
3: Yeah, I definitely found it intimidating and also sort of moving from Australia over to San Francisco and suddenly being immersed in a squad with all these, the athletes that have been racing professionally and coming from the other side of the world and pretty new to the sport as well. So hadn't been in it very long and felt pretty intimidated and that kind of, you go through a lot of things of searching for validation about making the decision to move and, and what other people think about that decision, you know, quitting the corporate world and moving across. And also just searching for yourself to justify the reason you've done it and do you belong. So how, did, how did you
0: overcome that? Because that, that was a <laughs> it, challenge. Yeah,
3: and I think a little bit just going very much trying to not think anything too big about that golf that golf to world class and that golf to the professional women racing and just again seeing how much I could improve day to day and and step by step and and how could I develop as a as an athlete individually I mean that was one of the reasons I took the leap was just to see to see what I could do so it was very much keeping that focus on on me and trying to just kind of put my head down and get on with the training and not think too far ahead or too bigger goals and and break it down a a lot smaller
0: and and um you know if you think about uh if you think about that performance anxiety for you and now that you have achieved success when you look at anyone and not a triathlete anyone that sort of has performance anxiety could be a speech could be a 5k it yeah. could be sort of showing up to a group session for the first time like a local running track and yeah or, or master swim performance anxiety is very real for all of us so what 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 are sort of some of the things that you learned that maybe you could pass on
3: I think when you're looking toward you know doing a, a speech or a presentation or going to that race or a new environment for me now I know what works for me and so it's things like being as prepared as I can before I go and give that presentation or go to that race and so uh, for a race example, I know that I prefer to get to a race probably a week before at least and for a full distance a, a little bit longer actually just to relax, get settled, get the way of the land, lay the land. Some people prefer to get there the day before and that's fine. It's just what works for you. And that's what I kind of started to learn how that helps. Um The other thing is sort of that visualization and preparation before you go into a race or before you go into a meeting, whatever it is of just putting yourself in in that race situation, in that position and seeing yourself in different circumstances so that when it happens on the day, you can then manage it a little bit better. And you've done as much as you can to the best of your ability to prepare for every situation. Yeah.
0: And, um, yeah, I know that you're, you're really, uh, you really lean into visualization and thinking through the process. Kevin, Kevin, I, I actually don't know sort of your level of performance anxiety. You always come across as such a calm Athlete, and we talk strategically, and uh, and you're there. But did you have early performance anxiety? How did how? What sort of performance anxiety do you have typically as an athlete?
1: Oh, I have uh, a lot of performance anxiety. I mean, from the beginning of my career even to now, and I have just come to accept that it's always going to be there. If you're going to have a good performance, you're probably going to have anxiety. I mean, lining up next to fifty of the best guys in the world at the world championship if you 're not anxious, then like
0: something 's probably wrong like and and we could argue that that 's <laughs> actually essential for many athletes there 's a there 's a difference between an- anxiety and priming as it were so like it's like it 's a part of the process in many ways which which I know that we 've talked about before. Is that, is that a shifting relationship of how you viewed it or how did you manage it?
1: I think the best thing for me is just becoming kind of process oriented throughout the weekend. So you don't see me very much. I mean, we chat. Actually, I do better when we don't chat. Don't <laughs> yeah. <I> don't
0: <laughs> there, there is a, there is a pattern. We've got the string where, um, <laughs> We're pre-race, we've emailed back and forth, and every time that I have spoken to Kevin before a race, my, my magical coaching skills, I don't think you've done as well, have you? <laughs> yeah, I, I seem to
1: not win when I talk to you, so, uh, yeah, well, you're cut off. But, um, <laughs> but yeah uh like you don't see me at these races but i typically just walk around like a zombie just going through the motions and getting everything ready and like once you're in the water and you're in that flow state that's where like i my athletic abilities sort of come out but until then i'm just super anxious and uh and nervous and and that's just what i've come to accept as normal
0: how about about you i mean you're always a very nervous person aren't you sarah
2: (laughs) yeah i mean i i I agree with both Laura and Kevin. I mean, I definitely get nervous before races and actually there's kind of a joke amongst my inner circle of friends and family that I go into the poo cave as they like to call it because (laughs) I literally like can't hold a conversation on the phone with anybody. I just like, I'm so singularly focused on the race and the anxiety that I'm feeling and going through my preparations that I really have to just remove all outside distractions and I'm just like terrible at having any communication with anybody except for probably you Matt to be honest yeah. it's just it's I I don't it's actually a joke generally that like I can't do two things at once and I literally like can't focus on my race and like do anything outside of
0: that so what what sort of comes out of it for all, all three of you though is that the uh the underlying acceptance and understanding that that is part of the process would uh would you agree with that
2: yeah and I, I actually think like you know kind of talking about what laura you know has gone through and the things that she's sort of like come to understand about herself i do feel like over the years of of racing professionally i've really been able to have a much better understanding of the types of things that work for me and not being influenced by what everybody else is doing. Just being able to have confidence in, the process that i have to go through to prepare myself for either a hard training day or a race or you know when i was working in in finance you know getting ready for a big presentation or things like that and just really being able to have the confidence to to go through that process and and not be distracted by anybody else and, and what they're having to do for themselves and,
0: and i think that really comes across actually even in our training camps we're all here in the training camp now where you guys are getting some pretty heavy load and you're all immersed in basically living on top of each other. And it's, it's really amazing to step back as a coach and see everyone has their process. And I think what comes out, cause you know, Laura mentioned about learning what was right for you, for her. And, and you just said the same thing, Sarah, it's, there isn't a quick fix and there isn't a magic solution. This is a performance. Anxiety is a journey that you go on, but you have to be aware enough to actually find what works for you and ultimately not be distracted by by others,
3: and, but you have to have that flexibility because curveballs get thrown at yeah. you in any situation. So don't again, don't let that kind of. You can be in your process and it can all be nice and, and happy, and you're leading into the race or whatever it is. But then something might just.
0: Yeah, yeah it, it's it's one of my characteristics of excellence yeah, like your resiliency to actually adapt and uh, and go in the process. I think that's a, a super point. So, it, it, shifting and sort of finishing out this section of the discussion. How do you, how do you actually define success? So we sort of talked about performance anxiety, but for you, we are so goal driven. We are so, um, event focused. I'm training for XYZ Ironman. I'm training for this is my race schedule, et cetera. But how do you, how do you, how do you actually define success for yourself as a, as an athlete? And we'll, we'll start with Kevin.
1: Well, success, like, I try not to be too outcome oriented. Like I'm not going to go into every race and say, Oh, I'm going to win. But I think it's like, I continue to do the sport because I still feel like I have more to accomplish in the sport. So each year when I sort of check something off the list, like, Oh, I won an Ironman. Like that was definitely a day where I was like, this is a successful day. And, uh but now, you know, I want to go and uh do a more competitive Ironman or like a regional championship. And so I just, I, I feel like it's a, the broad focus of my career as I look back, I want to say like, that was a a successful part of my life. And, uh, so it's not the number of wins, but like, am I still having fun and
0: other facets to it as well? So, yeah. How about, how about you little poo?
2: Yeah, it's similar. I mean, I think, you know, for me, when I look at how proud or frustrated I am with a performance or a block of training or, or anything. It's really about whether or not I feel like I'm performing up to my very best capacity. And if I feel like I have A, given everything I can and B, walked away feeling like I performed in a way that I, I can feel really proud of, then for me, then that, that's a success. Um, and there's a lot of times and actually a lot of different segments of races where I don't feel that way. And I think that's one of the things that keeps you kind of coming back for more is it, it's hard to actually have the perfect race, but um yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of times less about the outcome being, you know, the placing um, winning is obviously great and being on the podium is great. But if I went to Kona, for example, and really feel like I performed and had an amazing race and ended up fifth, I would still be, very happy with that race. Yeah, happy because you Um, did everything you could. If I felt like I really had a wonderful, wonderful day, um, you know, you just have to control what you can control and everything else.
0: The the theme that comes out there is self-improvement over results, you know, which I think is critical. And uh, Anything to add there, Laura?
3: No, I I mean, I find that a really hard question to answer and I feel, sometimes feel quite guilty when people ask you, you know, what do you want to achieve in the sport and what are your goals and what races do you want to win and that sort of thing. And again, it's not, the winning's great and it does motivate you and it's an amazing feeling to cross that line first. But again, it's a little bit like the other two have said, it's about crossing the line and looking back to know that I feel proud of the performance and I gave it the very best I could on yeah. the day and, and have that kind of feeling. And then, yeah, searching for, searching for that perfect performance that you that is still elusive and that's what drives you and motivates you forward (laughs) laura
2: and i i was gonna say laura and i have had a a bunch of like emails back and forth where she's maybe won a race i'm like how are you feeling and she's like well you know it really wasn't the race i hope for or vice versa right i mean there's times when we actually have won and it's it wasn't our best race you know you know you could do more
0: and and i can actually think back of laura because you, you know one of your friends and fiercest competitors, Yvonne van Vlerken, who's a wonderful athlete, a Dutch athlete. And you guys have gone head to head multiple times. And, and in fact, in a couple of races, more than a couple of races, you were second last year, but there were a couple of those races where you raced great mm. and got beaten. Yeah. And that was, and we're still really satisfied, yeah. you know, really happy of like, that was a really good day. And that that's a really refresh rather than, Oh, I got beat. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is super. So, so let's uh, let's finish the section. One, one last question: is you guys you step back, and I like to do a little bit of um, looking back in time. We go through this with with everything you've accomplished so far, and it is so far. What are the very quick hits? Just give me a couple of quick hits of what you think are the the components that have enabled your success. If you if you could give me a sentence or two, just and not everyone has to answer this, but what are the what has enabled and facilitated your su- success from a mindset standpoint or a practical standpoint?
2: For me, undoubtedly, it's just a profound sense of um, belief in myself. Like I really believe in what's possible, and as long as I keep believing, I'll keep chasing after you know after those goals.
0: What about you, Laura?
3: I think um, immersing myself in the in the process. But being flexible, you know, I moved to San Francisco, but then ended up moving to New Zealand to to work down there. And and that seems to be the the right path to make the next steps in the process. And just being, I guess, persistent and and resilient to when things don't always go as you like or as you'd want or as quickly as you'd. You'd
0: like just being patient. Yeah, you came to San Francisco. You're a bit like Kevin. You need to keep your arms length, don't you? You're getting the hint here, man. Yeah, exactly. You might accelerate to world champion if you leave San Francisco, Sarah. (laughs) Where Uh, should I go? (laughs) um, Kevin? Um,
1: Well, what has enabled my improvements? I would say... Like, just whittling down what works and what doesn't work. Because most people don't know this is my 13th season as a professional athlete. And wow. it's been, like, I've done a lot of things, like, really wrong. And it's been, like, kind of taking all the things that work and and you put them over here and you keep doing those. And then you kind of throw out the things that don't work. And that's this is the 13th year of that. And I'm actually winning races now. So... Uh, I kind of wish I could go back in time and be like, w- what were you doing? Like, why are you doing that? Because,
0: you know, I used to do some stupid training, so. And, and I remember when you first joined and I said, what, what are you doing? Yeah. You, uh, <laughs> the, we, we have a thing, that, you know, one of the things we're very proud of is uh, a purple patch is our ability to get athletes to ride very well, both um, both in terms of becoming artists on the bike, but also output and pace and uh I think I remember saying to you, you don't know how to ride a bike. <laughs> You're much
2: better at descending now, Kevin. I know. I'm basically
0: the, I'm the ginger ninja. <laughs> yeah. You know how to ride a bike. <laughs> so section two, guys, we're going to shift our mindset. We're going to talk about training management a little bit. So this is going to be um, interesting you know, in a little shorter <laughs> section, but um, but I think it's important. So you guys all train a lot, unlike uh, obviously you work with a lot of time-staffed individuals, but you guys are training on the low end 18 hours a week, would be, I think be a, a very low hour. A total accumulation of hours up to some of your 30 or or even more hours, Laura, um, you're a, a little bit of a beast. That's obviously high physical load. And I don't want to spend today talking about training too much, but within that high load, what are the absolute essential so far as enabling success, knowing that our goal of training is not to accumulate hours, but to actually achieve positive adaptations and preparation to perform, as obviously you guys are. So what are the elements of success in that training for you? Uh Who should I pick? Go on, Kevin. Um, well, I know you're a big proponent of sleep.
1: And that actually, I would say I started racing fairly well mid-year, or no, like last year, basically <laughs> 2017, early 2017. And one thing I did was I kind of took a cue from the working world. Uh You know, people are done with their job at 5 p.m., But before, like, I did this, I would I would find myself working on the computer until like eight p.m. at night. And like, what I ended up doing was I would I would just kind of shut down electronics. Um, not my phone because I'm addicted. But um, (laughs) like you know, five p.m. I would stop doing. I would stop answering sponsor emails and stuff. And I would just kind of go and I would read books. I would watch Netflix or whatever. And and that actually, I would say my average sleep went from like seven hours a night to maybe nine and a half. And and that really was and. You always say you need to get your sleep, but it's true. It's just the easiest way to recover and Mm -hmm. adapt. So that was a big change.
0: It's is the biggest challenge for time-staffed people. And in fact, uh, you know, um, we talked just at this camp about training and new. I'm sorry, uh, nutrition and sleep being the platform on which training is built. So uh, it's good to hear that, Laura. How about you? Are there one, two, three elements that you think are most successful.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I'd have to say the sleep is probably one that I've noticed and I'm not great, but I'm still working on it. I think coming from a corporate background. And I think you've mentioned it before on the podcast about convinced that I could survive on when you win the working world on four or five hours a night sleep and you, and you, you can, you can survive, but you're not really performing to the level you want to at, at anything. Um, and so that was probably a a big thing that I'm, I've noticed more about having a b- big effect and, um, how I manage my daily routine to ensure that I get that sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, still not great at going to bed super early, but I'm working on it and getting better and trying to do things that, that Kevin said about sort of shutting down. Um, but I just shift it so that I'm not getting up super early, which allowed, but you know, I'm fortunate now at that I'm in a position that I can, can I do can it. do that. And the other thing is I, I, I wouldn't be able to tell you how many hours. I train or how many kilometers I do a week. I don't log it. I don't clock it. It goes in training peaks and you guys, Matt and Paul look at it, but it's not something I look at. It's more about that yeah, bigger bigger picture and making sure I know the general intent of the week and and the flow and, and, and that sort of thing to manage it.
0: Yeah, people are always staggered about that, that I always get asked how many hours a week do they train? And, uh, you know, the answer is I don't know. And that, that sounds so yeah. funny. And, uh, and of course I, I, I look at the accumulation and manage it, but that's not something we ever talk about is how many hours a week, how many kilometers, unless it's sort of something, Oh, you did that, but we're always yeah. focusing on what's the work and then how do we need to prepare and recover and support that work, which is really interesting. So, uh, so yeah, Sarah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think for me, um, like the other said, sleep is, is such a key for me in terms of recovery. uh, Fueling is, and nutrition is absolutely, absolutely critical. I mean, that's been a real transformation for me as an athlete from the time I started doing triathlon where I didn't even fuel at all when I was, actually swimming, biking and running to, to being able to fuel when I was in sport to how I eat outside of the sport. If somebody told me that I would be eating sixteen ounces of meat at night after a big session, I would have gawked, but that's what I do now. And um, you know, making sure that you're really adequately fueling is is really key. The hydration is such a big component too. I mean, I notice such a big difference between when I don't hydrate the next day how i perform and when i do hydrate how i
0: perform and is that are you saying that specifically during the training or between sessions as between well between and after
2: sessions i mean if i if i when i am done training for the day if i don't continue to hydrate and hydrate well and i go into the next day dehydrated i i i mean i'll fail at, at the intensity yeah. sessions it's just such a critical thing for me
0: and i think very busy just sticking on that point very quickly i think uh, because we are pushed so much by sports drink companies about hydrate during hydrate during and that's what all the commercials are people forget the most essential thing is restoring hydration status After. between mm-hmm. and um and i think many people fall down especially in busy lives mm-hmm. i would say i think it becomes really important
2: but the, the one other thing is you know when i was working in the corporate world if somebody told you to do something and you were tired and you hadn't slept in three days you just Put your head down and you still did it. And that's been, uh, another thing that's been hard for me to kind of adapt to. And it, I've needed to become better at communication with you, Matt, and be willing to say, Hey, I'm tired. Is that okay? You know, should we move forward or should we, should we not? Because you have to be willing to adapt in times of fatigue. And, and sometimes you do, you push on, but that's, you know, your responsibility as a coach to kind of make that decision, I guess, in conjunction with me. But that's definitely been something that I've had to, to work on.
0: So let's talk about how you would approach a week of training. Uh, you've, you've got a landscape in, um, in your training diary to look at. How do you sort of tackle approach? How do you look at a week of training?
3: Um, I definitely I kind of I like to get that overview of the week ahead and then I can plan out my times and and where I'm going to do the sessions think about different routes that I'm going to do if it's got a specific piece of work I try and pick out the 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 key the important sessions um to make sure they've got the right focus and that I give them sufficient time in the day or the right time of day to do that and um other things like you know um you know I'm down in New Zealand but if I get if I get to look at the week ahead and I can see that there's an open water swim and stuff, I'm not particularly keen to do that on my own. So um trying to rally a few people to do it with me and just, yeah, just trying to be very efficient and prepared at the beginning of the week for, for what's coming.
0: The big plan ahead. Any, yeah. Anyone else got anything to add?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, for me, when I see the week, I typically will like on Sundays, I do a lot of food prep, for example, so that during the week when I've got sessions and I'm, Tired and fatigued I don't have to do a lot of cooking I can just come home and I can immediately get the food in me that I need to be getting you know so on Sunday afternoons there's a lot of grilling and roasting of vegetables and things like that
0: yeah super well what what about when I mean do you guys always feel good in training uh, <laughs> I, I, know, the, uh, I know. Well, there were tears from Kevin today, and that was uh, very early in camp. But um, what, what happens when you feel awful in training, Kevin? What, what do you do when things are just, I mean, really awful, you know? oh, I mean, yeah. not just a rough day?
1: I mean, I remember one day in particular. I'm pretty unemotional about it, but. Uh, I was riding with David, uh, one of our former pros, and I was just like, we were riding up a mountain and I was like, oh, I'm dropped. Like, I just can't ride today. I, I think I was pushing like 110 watts and it just happens <laughs> every, every once in a while. You just feel horrible, but uh, it uh you have to make the decision. Do you want to get the hours in? Do you want to continue to do the ride or do you just kind of cut it short because you may have a, a bigger session the next day? So I kind of try to keep the whole week and the whole training block in my mind and have the the thirty thousand foot view sort of
0: yeah going up rather than just focusing on the failure of that session. It's yeah. like okay, let's what's coming and yeah. what's the best decision to sort of. And make there's a the reason
1: way. why I felt horrible. I probably had a good session the day before, like I had just completely destroyed myself. So I was actually maybe even a little proud that I felt so
0: bad. <laughs> <laughs> how, about, how about you, sir?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm a bit like Kevin too. I I don't get super emotional about about training sessions in the sense that. You know, obviously if you have a great session, you feel really proud of yourself. But if a day is not going well, then that's just the way that it is. There's a reason for it. Maybe you pushed hard the day before and hit new thresholds or something. But, you know, for me, I just try to get through the session and do the best I can. So if I'm not hitting the numbers I'm supposed to be hitting, I'll dial it back and set new benchmarks for myself that are achievable and, and really just try to define success on the day based off of, um, what I can give on that day and, and, and really just try to do it as well as I can. Yesterday would have been a prime example. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, uh, it was special.
0: It, well, I had to go and visit the doctor for <laughs> retina surgery. So, uh, <laughs> 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 all right. So section three, and, and we've touched on this a little bit, but we're going to talk about pain oh, and that pain and fear <laughs> management. So, um, we, we talked and we already covered off about nerves and emotions. And, uh, and that side of things. So there's a, uh, I'm going to start with this. There's a, um, I want to understand your mindset in racing. What are you thinking about in racing? So you've got this race and you're trained for it and it's a big race or a little race. They're all kind of big for you guys. What goes through your mind? What are you thinking about?
3: Oh, it depends if you're having a good day or a bad day, I think. <laughs> but, um, you know, for me, it's trying to keep really present, really keep, you know, what, what am I doing at this moment right now? What can I do at this moment right now to get the best best out of myself? Um trying to break it down into bite sized chunks of, of what I'm doing in on the course and how I'm riding or running or, or swimming. Um with half an eye on other people and what's going on. But um I try and stay as internally focused as I can and just uh to control my my own mind and and, and body. I feel
2: you? like it's just like amazing compilation of so many different thoughts. I mean, definitely like what Laura said, I mean, you have to stay process oriented. So, you know, I get a lot of questions by people. How do you stay focused for nine hours? You know, when you're doing Ironman and you do, I mean, every swim stroke, you're thinking about your form and, if you're breathing right and sighting and where you are. And when you get onto the bike, it's thinking about your pedal stroke and then paying attention to drinking every 10 minutes and eating every 20 minutes and, you know, what your heart rate is and, you know, how, you know, whether you're hydrated enough and have enough calories. And then when you get onto the run and, you know, I'm constantly thinking about my form and how I'm running uphill and how I'm running downhill. So you have all these, um, kind of functional things going on. But at the same time, you also have to have a real presence as to what's going on around you. So, you know, you need to have an awareness of what your strengths, the strengths and weaknesses are of your competitor. So if somebody goes by you on the bike and they're just hauling ass, but you know that they're not a very good runner, you know, you make a decision to let them go or do I not. So you have to be able to play the strategic game and sometimes take risks, but also stay within yourself and stay kind of committed to your race plan and process at the the same time. There's
0: something interesting there. When you first started answering that question, the way that you answered it was the fabric of process that you go through. So you couldn't help but go into process straight away, the swim, the bike, the run. And I almost saw you going through a race when you were talking about that, which which was really, really interesting. And that's that sort of value of process. And I think that many people have to learn – not to be outcome focused. Cause the two things I didn't hear from you is what time you want, what split you want to do, what outcome, what finish place you want to get that, that doesn't really feature in your mind or sometimes maybe it does. Yeah. If you're having a bad day, you tell me.
2: No, I mean, I think too, I mean, it, 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 for example, on the bike, I have a heart rate and a power output that I'd like to generally hit, but sometimes you hit it and sometimes you don't. So you have to be able to adapt to that. And same thing on the run. I mean, I have a target pace that I want to run a marathon at, but, you know, sometimes the conditions on the day, sometimes the type of payment that you're running on, I mean, all these different, you know, the wind, the heat, you know, there's so many things that come into play that you're just constantly f- trying to figure out how to manage yourself and get the most out of yourself. You know, whether it's focusing on core temperature, you know, doing all the things to to really just perform at your best. And if you stay, if you're focused on the outcome and you're not paying attention to the process, then the outcome is never going to be a good one because you're just going to totally fall apart at some point. So you really have to focus on the process because if you're not hydrating and fueling and keeping your core temperature down and focusing on your run stride and running up and down the hill as well, then, you know, it's not going to be a good outcome.
0: And, and I think the the last thing I'd add to it is just when you, when we talk about process, uh, or processes, you just said, <laughs> but, uh, we talk about process. Um, it's, it is process. It, it is. Process. It, it's things that you can control. And that's, uh, because ultimately that's going to lead to the outcome. And I think that's so, so important. Well kevin i 'm going to ask you a different question and am going to lead you in here because all of you are going to get to answer this one it's uh it 's like rocky pain. pain so the interesting thing the question I often get is uh, so many believe that from the outside they look at um, many believe that the faster you get, the less it hurts, and so you guys as pros, it must be pretty easy racing so so I decided to ask you this. Give me one sentence. If you can, it's gonna be hard for a little poo here because she never talks in one sentence. <laughs> she only talks in paragraphs, but uh, says <laughs> says me, but uh, yeah, what, says yeah, you, says exactly. me. <laughs> <laughs> but give me one sentence on the level of pain that you experience in racing. What's it like? Oh, it's still maximum pain. I mean, maybe not
1: the type of pain that comes from like not doing things correctly. It's it's just you're you're so well trained that you. It, it, yeah, it's the same as when you're an amateur. It's, it's the same as when you just began.
0: It's just highly, yeah.
1: still,
3: 11 out of 10. It still uh, hurts, whatever, whatever pace, speed, ability. Tell me me what it
0: feels like. Tell me what it feels like, Laura.
3: Oh, I don't know if you can describe it. It can be so kind of. Does it feel like your world is closing in on you? It can feel like your world is closing on you. Yeah, your quads are pounding, your hip flexors are going. This is particularly on the run because that tends to be at the end of a, especially a full-distance race where you've accumulated things and and your head goes into probably more dark holes than before. And it does, yeah... really makes it kind of quite mentally challenging when your mind is or your body feels one thing your mind saying the other and yeah
0: how about you how, how do you describe it you're always descriptive boo.
2: <laughs> i don't know i mean it's a good question when you when you say the word pain and race <laughs> i mean it brings anxiety to me and i think that's where some of the race anxiety comes from is just knowing what kind of
0: pain you're about to it's like endure. It's not just the races, it. It. it's the
2: sessions this week. I mean, I <laughs> definitely get pre-race jitters in some of our, our training
0: sessions. So, so let me ask you this then, I'm i to take you back to um, to a couple of years ago in the Hawaii Ironman, and um, <laughs> I actually I was on, standing on the side of the course with a mile to go, and, uh, and you were down some 20 to 40 seconds, and uh, you were already – in a lot of pain. This was right at the end of nine odd hours of of racing. Uh, The athlete in front of you that remained um, nameless was looking better than you. You were 40 seconds down. You had one mile to go and you were in trouble. And I said to you, you have to go now. And when I said that, I actually had an, an honest feeling that that might leave you not finishing the race. You were obviously in pain. And yet the outcome was you end up jumping off a cliff and you, and you beat, that athlete uh, and you, you beat it by 20 seconds or so. So how did you manage that point? Probably the most painful point of your professional career so far. How did you manage that? What was your thinking? <sighs> She's putting herself back in time. <laughs> I know, I know. I and I don't even those. know.
2: I just, I, I mean, you just said, I just want you to throw the kitchen sink of it. And there were a lot of expletives in there, which I won't <laughs> repeat. And you said, you just go now. And you said, put your head down, put your chest forward and go. And I just put my head down and I put my chest forward. And I was like, you either go now, you don't go at all. And you have six minutes of pain and you can do that. You can do anything for six minutes. And I literally just like put my head down and just went. And I don't even know how I did it. I mean, I think at that point it comes down to mental and you have to block the pain out. Because you're right. I mean, I was like drooling head back, not in a good place. Laura was there. She saw it. Yeah. Um, and it's still like, even now I think back on it and I don't I don't even know really how, how I was able to do it. And I know that's probably not the answer you're looking for, but no, it's think. just in the moment sometimes I think it comes down to mental. And you just make the decision mentally whether or not you're going to do it or you're not going to do it. How do you feel when, when you watch me swim, Matt? Is it pretty it's painful for you? No, <laughs> well. Actually, is it painful? Can you describe the pain it, for us? It, it's
0: funny, <laughs> when, even in racing, you know, but part of it, we we get to coach very, very little. You know, you get to call out from the side when you're stationary a little bit, but there is emotional torment. And the, the challenging thing for me is you talk about control what you can control. I can control nothing. It's all up to you guys. So it's, uh, well, let, 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 let's, let's, let's transition let's talk about results a little bit you know we we sort of defined global success but um how do do you think about sort of racing and and results how do you how do you sort of manage success in racing first what do you think about when you're success there's an element of celebration of course but um what do you think about uh success and failure in your racing kevin well
1: I'd say winning races is fairly new to me, at least, uh, multiple times a year. So now I show up to a race and I think, uh, how can I win this race? It's not like, do I even have a chance of the top five, top three? But, and then even when I don't win, sometimes I'm kind of disappointed. I'm like, oh, but then, you know,
0: th-
1: you know, for instance, one race I got beat by Terenzo Bazzoni's amazing world class athlete. So you have to kind of take a look at that and, uh, and know that, I mean, there's still development to be had. There's still uh, obviously improvements to be made. So results so far, as you said earlier, is have been good. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely celebrate for a while, but it's usually back to the grindstone because I know I didn't win every race this year.
0: Sarah, do you have anything to add?
2: No, I mean, I think like you said, it's, when when you have a successful race, you need to relish in that moment and celebrate it, but you can't let the highs let get too high and you can't let the lows get too low. So when you have failure, you have to learn from it. And when you have a success, you get to celebrate that and then you get back to work.
0: And how about you, Laura?
3: Um, I think, you know, last year I raced quite a lot and that was a – what do you call it? I guess an experiment that we took to see what would happen and so you have to take each race as an opportunity to try some things to learn to move on and you know it's all part of that process and it's all part of the journey of improving and being a better athlete and so you know everyone questioned me last year oh you're racing a lot are you racing too much have you gone one race too far and but you know that was what we wanted to do we wanted to see what would happen and how i would adapt to that and move and i think you know for me it worked pretty well whether we repeat that but we'll take the learnings from Mm -hmm. those races and and with that you take each individual race and whatever the result a win a second or or on how that performance is you you want to move forward um going on a little bit you know i raced two full distances very early on in the year and had great results and and great performances the battle with avon wanaka being one of those and then and i'm in ironman new zealand but i learned so much from those two races that i wanted to race again and i wanted to race again pretty quickly to be able to put that learning into into practice and then that's when we picked out um ironman australia which was a great opportunity to do that
0: fantastic all right, last question, guys. As uh, we've somehow sort of gone into section four without me declaring it, but um, it's a two-part question for each of you. What and and quick, quick fire. If you, if you can come up with something, what's your proudest moment so far in your journey as a professional triathlete? Be honest. Come on. What's your proudest moment?
3: I, I have to, winning the world titles as an amateur because that's the first time on that world stage. Um, obviously crossing the line Ironman Australia last year um was an incredibly special moment but I think my performance in Challenge Roth last year as well so yeah. not one but those kind of three culminating
0: and that's a race you didn't win which uh, yep. which is really telling. Kevin do you have
1: one? Yeah it was actually before I was coached by you it was uh, St. George the US Championship. I got second but I won the US Championship because the winner was Canadian but uh it kind of just showed me I could be good at long distance. If only I wasn't rubbish on the bike. And then
0: that's when I came to purple (laughs) pads. And we turn you into an I'm an athlete Sarah.
2: Um, I have two actually. One was, um, 2016 Kona Mm -hmm. where I didn't really have the race that I wanted to have, but I just stuck with it all day. And that was the race that came down to the last mile. And, you know, I put my head down and, and, finished in seventh, which, you know, wasn't exactly the, the result that I was hoping for per se, but I was just really proud of that performance and for so many reasons. And actually the second one was this last December, um, Ironman Argentina had come off of a DNF from the world championships and then followed that up with kind of a subpar race and just wasn't, I would say in a great place and, and came back and won that race, which again, it's not necessarily result's focus but i just was really proud of myself for sticking with it and really ending the season on a high note and with a race that i felt good about so the
0: really good personal performance the resilience of it well tell me this what was your biggest obstacle or failure and i'll stay with you and that that could be a challenge it doesn't necessarily mean to need to be a failure but what was the biggest obstacle that you faced so far
2: um you know for me i would say probably my dnf at kona this year um I put a lot of emotional energy into that race and, um, just frankly, I'm not somebody that, that DNFs races. And so, you know, to have a bad race would be one thing, but to DNF the world championships is just something that I didn't even contemplate ha- being something that was an option to have happen. And that's something that I think will stick with me over the next year. And I think for me, not going out like I have something to prove and really just staying very process oriented and, and continuing to train and race within myself is something that I'm going to be
0: challenged with. I think that's a cue for listeners that if you do sort of uh, come across Sarah on the sidewalk, it's better to step off the sidewalk (laughs) and let her through. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Laura, what's your biggest obstacle or failure?
3: Um, I think my biggest obstacle is me, myself (laughs) and getting, getting in the way of myself. And
0: uh, it's a great answer.
3: Well, that's, pressure i put on myself or being over critical analytical never kind of probably appear happy after races because i'm kind of always can pick faults in them and that sort of thing and i think that's probably the uh, the biggest thing that i have to kind of deal and and manage on a on and still do kind of thing
0: it's really honest it's super kevin
1: um well I would say, like, I don't really consider myself to be a very, like, talented athlete. I'm more of a, like, it's just been years and years of hard work. So in that sense, it's like, um, my biggest obstacle has been just, uh, accumulating the ability to do the sport at a high level. I had never came in like, um, some of these athletes we see come in, like a Lucas Fersbicus or somebody who's just kind of a flash and is amazing. Uh, I never really had that ability. So. Um, just working day by day, like we say, baby steps over the course of uh, more than a decade has brought me to where I am now.
0: Behind every overnight success, there is ten years of hard work. Someone said that. That was good. <laughs> so we finished with quick fire questions, and Sarah, these have to be under a sentence. They uh, they can I, be. A I word. only learned from you, Matt. I know very much. So here we go. So there are there are, um. Uh, eight questions and Are we're going gonna, to gonna fire, them, we're gonna fire them off one at a time right. so the first question we typically asked is, is what's the biggest challenge for a time-starved performer but um, I'm not going to ask you that um, your world class what's the value of a coach Sarah
3: keeping me in check
0: giving you the correct workouts to do
3: guidance and mentorship
0: good stuff number two What's your number one performance habit to help with daily energy or training performance? Sleep. Planning.
3: Sleep and coffee. (laughs) Sleep and coffee is good.
0: (laughs) Training. Listening to music, focus on the task or troubleshoot your life problems. What is it?
3: Focus on the task. Focus on the task.
0: I'm a troubleshooter. You're a troubleshooter. We need to talk about that. (laughs) Here's a tough one. Yours is genetics, uh, Kevin. What do you ha- wish you had more of?
1: Mm. Yeah, genetics. Maybe. No, it's not. I'm not that bad, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: time,
3: swim technique, natural ability.
0: Mm, interesting one. Training again. Fly solo or surround yourself with a crowd, Sarah. Fly solo. Mix of both.
3: Yeah, mix of both. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Name one or two characteristics of an elite performer.
3: Focus and grit.
0: Level-headed and intelligent.
3: Resilience and flexibility.
0: Oh, I like it. Who has been your biggest mentor?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's all Everyone's of us looking finished. to the next person. Everyone just
0: looking around the <laughs> table
3: then. Yeah. Oh, wow. Wow um
2: actually i would say you honestly matt i mean we've had a very long relationship and uh a
3: very good relationship so thank you so i will balance the purple patch team and say paul
1: buick there you go mix it both
3: (laughs) are you on the fence again (laughs) kevin
2: (laughs) that is not a good (laughs) answer
0: training training does not get easier (laughs) because of your fluffery by the way (laughs) last one number one tip for travel
3: I'd say with, with flying, adjust to the time zone of where you're going as soon as you can.
1: I do hydration and noise-canceling headphones. Just don't freak out when something goes wrong because something's going to go wrong.
0: It's great questions, great answers to uh, very short questions. Team, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Really interesting discussion. I think we got a lot out of it. I think... A, um, Actually, I learned some stuff about you guys, which, uh, <laughs> which I thought I knew everything. So maybe I'm not doing my, my Is that my worrying? job. That's, <laughs> that's a little worrying. We, we all have more work to do. That's what came out of that conversation. So thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Take care. Fun. <laughs> thanks, Next Matt. time. Cheers. Take care, guys. Bye.